the next level. <laughs> it's the Battle of the Mini Monsters, introducing Frankenstein, Venom of the Opera, Dracula, and Creature from the Black Lagoon. The monsters with glow-in-the-dark features. Frankenstein is in a foul temper. Dracula flies in, fangs bared. Creature surfaces, dripping with rage. Phantom shows his fiendish face. I can't look. Is he ugly? The monster battle rages on. It's a howl. The monsters with glow-in-the-dark features, each sold separately from Remco. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. following program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. Anyone could see that the wind was a special wind this night, and the darkness took on a special feel because it was all Hallow's Eve. Everything seemed cut from soft black velvet, or gold or orange velvet. Smoke panted up out of a thousand chimneys like the plumes of funeral parades. From kitchen windows drifted two pumpkin smells. Gourds being cut, pies being baked, and podcasts being recorded. Okay, that's there's no smell to that, but whatever. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero, it's all girls, gills, and gore. As you're welcomed back to What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And I'm your host, Postmortem Paul. And alright, so this week... We will definitely be covering the girls' part, the gills' part. Not so sure about the gore, though, but whatever. Welcome back to episode 108. This is the fourth and final installment of the Universal Studios monster movie event of Octoberween, Shocktober, whatever we're calling it, whatever you want to call it. Uh, This week, though, the review, 1954, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. But first, okay, so I actually was going to talk about this on last week's episode for The Wolfman, but, you know, time restraints and whatnot, I kind of cut the review out so i'm adding it to this week's episode uh there's a shutter exclusive that i wanted to talk about called the medium so i think it it was originally released in 2020 but on shutter it's a 2021 film it's a thai horror film from thailand uh deals with uh some interesting themes of uh, shamanism possession and family curses uh, so, 
It's an interesting flick. The first third of the film is very slow. It's a very slow burn. It introduces us to the family that's involved. Um, uh, the character of Nim. Uh, she's the shaman vessel for the goddess of Ba Yen. And then we're introduced to... Um, I believe they pronounce the name Mean, but it's like spelt Mink. Um, but anyways, uh, she's the young girl who becomes possessed. She played immaculately by a very talented Norelia Golman Kopek. I think I actually said her name right, so kudos to me. But um, she's she's brilliant in this movie. Really, really good. Um, the movie has a runtime of like 2 hours and 11 minutes. It's a bit of a longer film. And that's like the... Like I said, the first third of the film is like very slow burn. Like it really just takes its time. But then again, with the two hour and 11 minute runtime, it can take its time. The creepy elements take a bit to get going. Uh, I will say, though, that once the shit hits the fan, uh, it it progresses quite rapidly into some of the coolest visuals I've seen in a long time. And again, I must highlight this fact that it's Eastern filmmakers showing the West how it should be done. seriously there is some really cool visuals in this my only gripe with the film um, and I I don't know that it's an actual detracting factor but it's okay it's done in the way of like sort of like uh, Lake Mungo how it's like that faux documentary style but at the same time it's found footage like it's got that formula where it like mixes the two and in the in the beginning of the film, it works really nicely, actually. Like it, it really comes off as being like a legitimate documentary or like you know news report of of something that happened. But as the story unfolds and more of the bizarre and the violent incidents like happen, it may again it's the whole. It makes no sense why someone would keep filming, especially when someone's life may depend on the cameraman's help to survive. This is something that. And so many found footage films suffer from this. Is that if you have a cameraman holding the camera and someone is dying in front of you, you're not going to keep holding that camera. I mean, I know in 2021, how many times have we seen this where you see a video on social media where something horrible is happening and there's a video of it because someone had their phone there and they weren't helping. I get it. It's almost somewhat accurate, but at the same time, these are this is bizarre elements that are taking place this isn't you know a mugging or something like that i don't know it's it's interesting you can, i guess the, the argument can go both ways right like but it's just when i'm watching it and i'm seeing some of the things that are happening and it's like i'm yelling at the tv put the damn camera down help them but I say that, and then would I be that person that would help as well? Maybe not. I don't know. Probably the fear freezes, you know, the person holding the camera. And as I believe it was Blair Witch Project, when someone did a review on it, they mentioned about how, like, looking through the viewfinder of a camera almost takes the reality away. So you almost, you trick your mind into believing that it's not real. And so maybe there's that aspect as well. I don't know. Small gripes aside, though, I mean, to be fair, this movie has some really great acting performances. Um, gorgeous shots. The, the, some of the, uh, just the panoramic shots that they get of, 
of the environment and whatnot. It just, it's so gorgeous. Um, and I mean, the landscape, the landscape of Thailand, I mean, really helps as well. I'm not going to lie. If you have a shutter account, I highly do recommend it. It is definitely worth checking out. Um, subtitled. Yes. <laughs> I know some people are like, I don't like to read my movies. I get it, but it's worth it. It really is. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere down the road, you know, Hollywood decides, Hey, this movie picked up, let's remake it. And we'll make it English. But whatever. Um, okay, so it's sort of different. Not a uh, film recommendation. We're going to do a, a music recommendation because October has definitely been the month for some amazing music releases. Uh, <laughs> as I've definitely highlighted a few times on this show, you guys know how I feel about the new Ice Nine Kills album. For me, album of the year, easily. And then, not to mention, Arch Enemy just released a new uh, single, Deceiver, Deceiver. Uh, that one's a wicked banger. I was not expecting that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Arch Enemy and everything. I, I, I Especially since Alyssa, uh, what, what's her last name? White Glues has joined the band. She's amazing. She really was a nice um, replacement for Angela and whatnot. But I wasn't expecting this. I mean, this... This is a nice lead-in single for their new album. Um, but then there's this album. Okay, so... I have a very soft spot for albums like Nymphetamine and Damnation for a Day. But I, I... Damnation and a Day, sorry. But it's basically been since Midian that this band really had a phenomenal album that from beginning to end was a great release. I'm talking about Cradle of Filth. Uh, their uh, newest release existence is futile. So it got released last Friday and I knew it was released on all streaming services and whatnot. It's been released on vinyl and on CD. And like I said, like it's been a while since I had an album that they released that really grabbed me. I mean, Midnight in the Labyrinth is a killer album, but I don't know if I can include that because it's all orchestral re-releases. Like, <laughs> um, kind of doesn't count. I mean, it does. It's a great album, uh, but it's just what's Cradle of Filth. They're like the court jesters of black metal. Everybody knows this, and so the new album comes out, and I even the new they, they've released two new singles, and I kind of was like, eh, all right, whatever. But the album came out, and I thought, well, I'll give it a chance. It can't hurt. Every album they've released, I've always given a chance. And then I found that with Existence is Futile, the first time I listened to it, I was like, all right, that's not bad. It's pretty solid. And then I played it again, and I played it again. And I find that with each listen, I'm enjoying it more and more and more, actually. Um, especially Sisters of the Mist. I think that's track... I want to say 13. I could be wrong. Um, I don't. I haven't really paid attention how many songs there are. I just sort of start at the beginning and let it play through, which is kind of cool because it's been a while since a Cradle of Filth album came out that I was able to just start it and let it play and repeat and repeat and repeat. It's, like I said, since Midian, basically. Um, and, I mean, let's face it. It's always a joy when I hear Doug Bradley's voice on a Cradle of Filth album. 
I mean, because essentially, isn't he like an unofficial official member? <laughs> I mean, it seems like he's on every album and even if it's just like these little interludes or whatever, it, I, I don't know. I just, I, Doug Bradley has one of those voices that you just absolutely love. And I have to also give credit to Danny Filth here because this is a guy who's been squelching and screaming for what? The last two decades, almost, uh, two and a half decades. <laughs> He's been doing this for quite a while and his voice really holds up well on this release. And yeah, I get it. In the studio, you can always, you know, tinker and tweak, you know, vocal, you know, vocal performances and whatnot. But I mean, honestly, this is a good record. Uh, standout tracks that I've liked so far. I did mention Sisters of the Mist. Uh, Black Smoke Curling from the Lips of War is a great one. How Many Tears to Nurture a Rose is great. And basically the opening track. I mean, there's an intro track first, but the opening track, Exis Existential Terror. I can never say that fucking word. Um, but that's a, a great album, a great track as well. A, awesome way to open the album, I have to say that. I'm not going to lie. If if I had to give this album a rating, and this is this was after a couple playthroughs. I mean, it, the, the first time I listened to it, I was like, mm, I need to hear this a bit more. But now that it's become more of a regular play for me, it's about a 9 out of 10, actually. I mean, nothing is going to beat that era of Dusk and Her Embrace, Cruelty, uh, and The Beast, and Midian. You're, you're never going to beat those three albums. Don't even try. <laughs> like, that is when Cradle was at their absolute top. But this album is a nice follow-up. I'm really impressed with it. And then not to mention that this Friday, Ad Infinitum, their second album gets released. And if the first two singles of Unstoppable and Afterlife are any indication of what Chapter 2 Legacy is going to be like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to fall in love with that one as well. As well as Third Realm have also announced a new single releasing this Friday. It's their Halloween song uh, that was announced by Nathan Reiner. And there's also one other I want to mention. It's a little EP known as Shaman that was released by the band Orbit Culture. For those of you who may not know who Orbit Culture are, I know they're kind of their their name is picking up, but they're still a little bit under the radar. If you like uh, Sepultura or Lamb of God, definitely check out Orbit Culture. Um, just saying, like, and Shaman is a five song EP, so let that be like a nice taste of what you'll get from them. Uh, they do have, I believe, another full-length album and another EP as well. But their newest EP is... Uh, there's a, a song on there, The Strangler, which... The first time I listened to it, I was kind of like, that's not bad. It's now one that pretty much... It's track four, and when it gets to it, I kind of like hit repeat and let it play for about a good 20 to 25 minutes. Because it's just it's a really fucking good track. So... There's my music recommendations for this week. Uh, just quickly before we get into um, the review of the week and whatnot, uh, Mezco Toys, do it again. I know at the beginning of this you heard the little, um, the little Monsters commercial about the figures from the 1980s. Well, here in 2021, uh, there was an announcement from... Uh, Five Points in Mezco's Monsters Tower of Fear Deluxe box set. Uh, it's available for pre-order right now on Mezco's website. Uh, contained within this gorgeous box set. 
and it is actually really beautiful looking. Uh, you get five figures, so you get Dracula, the mummy, Frankenstein's monster, the wolfman, and the sea creature, aka Gilman. And you get this really cool, it's like a 18 inch tall uh, diorama. It, it's a display diorama that you can like pose and position, set up, arrange, and like all different options. Um, it basically, when it's built, it's like a three level castle, a Carpathian castle is what they, uh, I believe they announced it as. And it's got a dungeon, a main hall, and down below, Frankenstein's lab comes with accessories like a coffin for dracula or you know a tomb for the mummy and whatnot uh it's going for 95 dollars on pre-order on the mezco website with a shipping target date of march to may 2022 um i personally can't afford it right now because i kind of dipped into their uh, living dead dolls uh, the season of the witch triple doll set that's uh, coming out the three trick-or-treaters yeah, that was my big splurge from Mezco and Living Dead Dolls. So I can't afford this thing right now, but it's definitely worth mentioning. Also, I felt it fit in thematically really well with what I've been doing this month for Shocktober, Octoberween, whatever you want to call it. So, you know, I thought I would mention it. But I mean, let, let's move past that now for something you don't have to wait until March or May to receive and that is this final review from this universal studios monster movies event for the month of october shocktober whatever i really do need to think of one my own but whatever (laughs) uh because basically we're going to dip now after the trailer timeout we're gonna dip see how i say that because like this deals with a lot of water right so we're gonna dip we're gonna deep dive Uh, into a film that's starring a bunch of men, a strong female lead, a rubber suit monster that's terrorizing everyone on a ship. Um, no, this is not 1979's Alien, by the way. (laughs) When it's, it's actually kind of funny when you describe it like that, it's like, hmm, Alien? Are we talking about Ripley this episode? Nope, not yet. We'll get to that one day, though. Uh, from 1954... Uh, It's a black and white 3D sensation known as the creature from the Black Lagoon. Did that sound campy and over the top or what? Back in a splat, kids. Up from the depths of the mighty Amazon comes a creature to astound and terrorize the world. No. (laughs) Creature from the Black Lagoon. Shocking in the realism of the screen's first underwater three-dimension thrill. Sounds incredible, but it appeared to be human. I tell you, it's the greatest find yet. Nothing compares to it. Grimly, men of daring venture into a dread world underwater, stalking a creature of frightening fury, a creature stirred to strange emotions by its first sight of a woman. (laughs) You'll see the most amazing underwater photography that the screen has ever known in this strangest of all science fiction adventures. Creature from the Black Lagoon, starring Richard Carlson and Julia Adams, even more amazing in three dimensions. You know, I really enjoy that trailer. I think it was actually the second official trailer. The first one had a different feel and sound to it and whatnot. But that one there just sounds like it's like a radio broadcast. I don't know. I just have a thing about that one, which, by the way, 
before we get into this review, speaking of trailers, how many of you have seen the trailer for the new movie called Black Friday that's starring Bruce Campbell and Devin Sawa? If you haven't, it's posted on the Facebook page. Go check this thing out. I think it's it's awesome that we finally will have a horror comedy movie about the most idiotic and ridiculous day of the year. Like this is going to be awesome. And I mean, it's basically, what is it? It's like disgruntled toy store workers having to deal with the crowds on black Friday, except the crowds, I guess they're like zombies or possessed demonic demon, like demons or something like that. It looks awesome. It looks hilarious. And I mean, I hope there is like a ton of satire in this thing, like poking fun at every fucking moron who goes out shopping on black Friday. I'm not going to lie. Yes, I have dipped into Black Friday sales online and whatnot, but I am not the kind of person that's going to get up at four o'clock in the morning and go stand outside a department store in a freezing fucking cold just so I can walk in and say, I need this VCR and I need it now. Or, well, sorry, um, let's get relevant, right? Blu-ray player. But <laughs> that I need that, you know, that 4K HD TV that, you know, is regular, like, $2,000 and I'm going to get it for, you know, 500, like big fucking deal. So what, like, especially like in the United States, especially the day before is Thanksgiving. I thought you're supposed to be thankful for all that you have. And then the next day it's like, give me more, give me more. Like you look like morons. No offense to any of you who may have gone shopping on black Friday. I'm just saying it's, it's a holiday that seems, well, it's not even a fucking holiday because retail workers have to work on that day so that people can Get more and get more and get more, says the guy who has, like, thousands of physical movies. But anyways, it the movie looks awesome. That's all I'm going to say. I, I have a weird rant about Black Friday that seems like I shit on everyone. I don't actually mean to. It's just... The day seems stupid to me. But anyways. The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Let's talk about this movie because it uh, had several um, release dates, so to speak. The original ultimate premiere was February 12th, 1954 in Denver, Colorado. And then the following day, it was released in Detroit, Michigan and Lansing, Michigan. Um, that would be February 13th, obviously. And then countrywide, US-wide, March 5th, 1954. So I guess March 5th is technically the release date. In Canada, it was released seven days later on March 12th. Something about Canada and seven days later. (laughs) Chucky, the TV series. You know, in in the States, they got it a week before Canada did. And we're still a week behind, even though fuck that shit. (laughs) I have my ways. And I have to add, like, just quickly. I mean, did anyone, like, y'all watched, you know, episode two right like there is nothing like watching a little chucky go walking down the street with a hello kitty mask on and he's trick-or-treating holy fuck man my ribs were hurting from laughing from that uh i'll also add that creature from the black lagoon had an australian release date of november 10th and the uk release was december 3rd because i know i have audiences in australia and the uk so it's time i started showing you guys some love Okay, the film, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, was directed by Jack Arnold. And he also did the sequel, Revenge of the Creature, uh, which came out, I believe, a year after. 
Uh, he also did It Came From Outer Space. He did The Incredible Shrinking Man, Monster on the Campus, uh, the movie Tarantula. And he did a lot of TV work in the later half of his career, which included uh, episodes for TV shows like Buck Rogers, Wonder Woman, and Love Boat. He was, though, primarily known for his work uh, in the science fiction and monster movie genre of the 50s, such as the many I've already just mentioned. Um, The screenplay for Creature from the Black Lagoon. I love saying that. It just has such a nice ring to it. Um, The screenplay was done by Harry Essex and Arthur Ross, and the story itself came from the brain of Maurice Zim. Now, Harry worked on films like Man-Made Monster. I mentioned that one last week, actually. Uh, He also worked on The Killer That Stalked New York, It Came From Outer Space, and Dragnet from 1954. And Arthur... Arthur worked on the sequel for this creature universe uh, known as The Creature Walks Among Us. And he worked on the film Satan's School for Girls. And Maurice was probably best known for his writing credits on Perry Mason, the TV series. He did eight episodes between the years of 1959 and 1963. The film review of this week. This film was produced by William Allen, and he also produced both the sequels, Revenge of the Creature and The Creature Walks Among Us, as well as doing films like The Black Castle, It Came From Outer Space, Tarantula, The Deadly Mantis, The Space Children, and The Rare Breed in 1966. You're noticing probably how It Came From Outer Space comes up a lot. Uh, it's actually, so does Tarantula. It, it's interesting because, um, oh, what was I just watching the other day? Oh, how the um, the movies that made us, and they're talking about how in the the movie Halloween, how everybody that worked on that movie was all friends from other films and projects and whatnot, and this one was dating that one, and this one was brought in because they were a friend of this one and this and that. I I found that when I was doing my uh, notes for this week's episode I saw a lot of that where it's like the same names come up a lot and I mean that that was pretty common back in like you know the 30s 40s and 50s and it, apparently still even common to this very day um, William Allen also acted in a few films which uh, included the 1941 film Citizen Kane uh, which is kind of how this project all came to be because they met like uh, certain people met on that uh, production and William Allen was also part of the radio broadcast for Orson Welles Halloween 1938 radio production of uh, War of the Worlds so that's kind of cool cinematography for a creature from the black lagoon i gotta stop saying that because it's getting very repetitive but (laughs) i just love that title it's always been one of my favorite titles in the universal uh studio monster films cinematography by william snyder 80 credits to his name he worked on a wide range of projects from westerns to science fiction horror to dramas and action films Films that included The Princess and the Pirate, The Bandit of Sherwood Forest, The Return of October, 
a house across the street, Son of Sinbad, and 17 episodes of the TV show Bonanza. Didn't do a lot of horror. He was, uh, did a lot, but he, he was all over the place. He did, uh, like, there basically was no genre that he wouldn't uh, work on. The music for this film. Interesting stories to this music, but music was put together by Hans Salter, Herman Stein, and Henry Mancini. All three were uncredited. As well as stock music was used for this movie uh, that had been created by Robert Emmett Dolan and Milton Rosen, and they too were uncredited. Music back in... I noticed that a lot of the older films, music was never credited very much. Um... And I mean, you think like a name like Henry Mancini, it's like that's he's a pretty big, com- like big composer name. You you would assume that his his name would have been in those credits, but it wasn't uh, the famous creature theme music. Uh, it gets played a lot in this movie uh, was composed and uncredited by Herman Stein uh, when the score was recorded by the Radio Symphony Orchestra of Slovakia, and I had to write that down. There was no way I was remembering that. Uh, when they did it in 2000, the CD notes included a photo of Stein uh, next to um, a creature, basically, uh, and his manuscript and whatnot. He, uh, he also composed the music for when Julie Adams, or Julia Adams, is swimming... Uh, in in film and whatnot, um, he okay. So what was it? He contributed twelve minutes of the score. Uh, Mancini and Salter also contributed twelve minutes each. So there's thirty six minutes of music, and then uh, there was um, further nine minutes were provided by the stock music. Uh, and I'm wrong about that. No, sorry, Hans Salter contributed 16 minutes that was my error um but yeah so there's a lot of music to it um to my knowledge i don't think this score has actually been released on vinyl like bride of frankenstein was i could be wrong on that but i haven't seen it anywhere um other credits to point out uh the movie poster art and i this is one of the few times i will actually credit this because this poster i absolutely love uh, the poster art was done by Reynold Brown and the creature design. Okay. So the creature design itself, the idea, like the, the, the idea, the look of the creature many times had been credited to Bud Westmore. He took full credit for this for decades. And then it came out that actually he did not create the look of the creature. It came from the mind of Millicent Patrick. She was a Disney animator, and for years, Bud, who was her assistant, took all the credit, and Universal gave him the credit. Why they chose to overlook Millicent Patrick, the only thing I can think of is because she was a woman, and back in those days, you know, it was just better to credit a man than a woman. Uh, the digital restoration of the film was done by Brian J. McNamara, and he also did Dracula and Frankenstein. I don't know if I've actually mentioned that before, but I thought it was worth mentioning now. Our starring cast for this movie. This is an interesting one because the creature itself 
is not actually the star of the film. Interesting. But we'll start with Richard Carlson as Dr. David Reed. And yes, Dr. David Reed, played by Richard Carlson. Richard is also from It Came From Outer Space. Yes, I, like I said, that, that movie gets mentioned a lot. And yes, that's where he was from. He was originally from that film, brought over into this film. He did a lot of TV work as well, which also included one episode of the anthology series Thriller from 1962. And then we have Julie Adams as Kay Lawrence, who's credited in this film as Julia Adams, who's actually born Betty May Adams. <laughs> She uh, changed her name to Julia uh, after helping with a screen test for Detroit Lions football player Leon Hart. Uh, the Lions could probably use him right now, being 0-7. But anyways, uh, his career, his film career never did take off. But the producers at Universal, they actually were really interested in Betty. But obviously her name, Betty May Adams... To be fair, I think it's kind of catchy and probably would have caught on. But they had her change her name. So when she signed on, she changed her name to Julia. Um, she then changed her name to Julie in 1955 after having huge success in the film business. And the studio was like, okay, you can change it to Julia. I mean, it it's kind of weird. I, it, the whole th reason why they wanted Julia over Julie was they felt that Julia sounded more elegant and Julie sounded like more, I don't know, like fierce, which is kind of weird. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't have thought of that, but a big part of her film success, though, did come from this movie, which is a movie she almost turned down. Um, that's when you think about it, sometimes those weird films where it's like you hear those stories about how they almost passed up on it and she didn't pass up on this and kudos to her because it made her a household name. Sadly, she did pass away in 2019. Moving on to Richard Denning as Dr. Mark Williams, 113 acting credits to his name, which included projects like Unknown Island, The Black Scorpion, Creature with the Atom Brain, and Alice Through the Looking Glass. Moving forward to Antonio Moreno as, or Moreno, sorry. I think it's Moreno, not Moreno. Um, he played Dr. Carl Maya. And he started acting in 1912, actually, in a short called Iola's Promise, and was also in films like The Mark of Cain, The Invisible Hand, The Whip Woman, and The Mark of the Renegade. But he wasn't known very much for his acting in horror or B-movie genre or science fiction. So this is kind of like a rare occurrence for him. And then we move on to our captain, Captain Lucas in this film. Oh, I love this guy. He's a lot of fun. Played by Nestor Paiva. And Nestor was also in films like The Green Hornet Strikes Again, uh, The Crystal Ball, which if you've ever seen that, stars the gorgeous Paulette Goddard, who was from movies like The Cat and the Canary and The Ghostbreakers. Yes, before there were Ghostbusters, there was Ghostbreakers, a 1940 horror comedy with Bob Hope <laughs> and Paulette, obviously, um... But getting back to Nestor, obviously, he also returned for the sequel of The Creature, uh, the Revenge of the Creature film, as well as he was in the movie Tarantula. And he uh, he did a ton of TV work as a character actor as well. 
Okay, moving on to Wit Bissell as Dr. Edwin Thompson. 323 acting credits, which included roles like uh, roles in films like The Magnificent Seven, Soylent Green, and The Time Machine. Um, also films like Riot and Cell Block 11, The Atomic Kid, I Was a Teenage Werewolf, and I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. You like them? Teenage Werewolf and Frankenstein movies, I guess. Um, so yeah, he 323 acting credits, so busy, busy man. Uh, finally, for to round out the cast, we have Bernie Gozier as Z and Henry Escalant as Chico. They were like the two um, like assistants on the boat, basically. And then the Gill Man was played by two actors, both stunt actors. Uh, one was Ben Chapman. He did the on-land Gill Man. And Rico, Riku Browning as the Gill Man underwater. Uh, there's a lot of underwater shots in this film, and Riku was the one who did those shots. The runtime for the movie is an hour and 19 minutes long. It is rated G. Um, the budget was just under 500000 but gross profits, gross profits, sorry, are anywhere between 2.7 million and 3 million. Like it, 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 I saw a lot of estimates in between, or not estimates, but like numbers in between those two ground points or whatever. So let's move on to our synopsis and then we'll get into the review. So the synopsis for this film is as follows. Remnants of a mysterious animal have come to light in a remote jungle and a group of scientists intends to determine if the find is an anomaly or evidence of an undiscovered beast. To accomplish their goal, the scientists must brave the most perilous pieces of land South America has to offer. But the terrain is nothing compared to the danger posed by an otherworldly being that endangers their work and their lives. For this segment, I'm calling it the shape of water. Yup. Because I have to say this, Guillermo del Toro was at one point attached to do a remake of this movie in 2002. And he wanted to do it through the eyes of the Gill Man. He wanted to show the romance. And he want, that was the other thing. He wanted to make the romance successful. Um, not just that it's this Gill Man going after this woman and everyone's trying to stop him. And ultimately the Gill Man doesn't get the girl. Guillermo del Toro wanted to do a version where he did get the girl. And ultimately, though, the studio didn't really approve of it, fell through, so he made his movie, but he called it The Shape of Water, which is an amazing flick with Doug Jones playing the quote-unquote gill man in that movie, respectively and immaculately. But that's a weird movie. Weird sex scene in that movie. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, I thought, you know what, I'm calling this segment The Shape of Water. Because that's basically what this is or what The Shape of Water was, was, you know, just an updated version of The Creature from the Black Lagoon. But as for this movie, so this movie was originally filmed and presented in 3D. The idea for that came after the movie uh, House of Wax had a very successful run with a 3D presentation. Ultimately, though, most people have just seen this film in 2D. Although the 3D version, I believe, is now available on the Blu-ray and 
I think, no, not the DVD, but I believe the Blu-ray has the 3D quality as well. Although, from what I've heard, it's really not all that spectacular. I mean, 1954 3D is not up to the level it is, obviously, in today's day. Uh, but after House of Wax was very successful, they brought in Jack Arnold to direct, and it was decided that the film would be 3D. Um, despite the fact that most people only saw it in 2D, though, and not as because the 3D run didn't go as successful as they'd hoped, uh, the movie did still kill at the theater nonetheless. So, <laughs> kudos um, of the Universal films, of the, all of them that I have talked about. Over the course of what? Well, course of three years, because if you go back to, I think it was episode forty-four was when I did Bride of Frankenstein. But um, of all of them that I've done most recently, this is the only film, basically, where the monster of the film, the title of the film, is not played by a famous or iconic name, nor is it actually the starring role. Um, you no, know, Boris Karloff. Although he was rumored to have possibly taken on this role. Um, no Bella Lugosi, no Claude Rains, Lon Chaney or Lon Chaney Jr. Instead, the monster is played by two stuntmen. Which was probably a good thing as well. Because, okay, so for the underwater shots, and there's a lot of them in this film. They wanted, uh, it was requested of Riku Browning. Uh, at times, he had to hold his breath for almost up to four minutes. And the whole idea was was because he's wearing this bodysuit, he's got the mask on and whatnot. If he would have taken breaths or if he would have had like a tank on him or anything like that, there would have been air bubbles. They didn't want air bubbles showing from the mouth or head area of the creature from the nose or anything like that. So there was no air tank added to the suit. There, He had to hold his breath basically. Four minutes is a long time. I have a hard enough time holding my breath for 30 seconds, <laughs> let alone four minutes. Um... So basically, his options were hold your breath or quit the movie. Um, obviously, he kept going on with the film and has a killer set of lungs. I'll give the guy that. Um, but the costume. Let, we got to talk about this costume for a minute because, yes, okay, it's a rubber suit. So you think rubber suit, you're thinking Godzilla, right? You're thinking, oh, it looks hokey. It's campy. Maybe in today's standards, you know, it would look, look hokey. It would look, you know, something that maybe was intended for a movie like The Velocipaster. But in 1954, this suit actually is very creepy. Um, which is kind of interesting because the suit itself was modeled after the Academy Award statue. You know, your your golden Oscar, right? Well, it was kind of modeled after that. Um, and Julia Adams even said, like, the original suit, when it came out, was very sleek or eel-like. It didn't have a lot of the scales and whatnot. The scales were added after to give it a more menacing effect. And pretty much after most of the alterations were made to the suit, it looked a lot less like the Oscar statue. But the original look was to have that. Um, there's some cool scenes, especially early in the film, when we see the webbed hand reaching out of the water. I mean, it's a really cool uh, photographic shot. doesn't really make any sense, though, because, like, what is the creature trying to do by doing that? Like, fuel around for some loose change? Or, I don't know, does he have a foot fetish? Is he trying to grope some of that Julia Adams foot? Like, <laughs> I don't... It's a really cool shot, and it really has a creepy effect, but it really, again, like I said, it... 
and it's i think it's there to tease the audience i mean that's obviously what it's for but it just it kind of makes no sense but i mean this movie is it's all about the shots it's all about the look the aesthetic um because i mean yes there's dialogue to this film there's quite a bit of it but there's a quite and the reason why is because it's a quite a quite a bit of exposition really i mean but this movie it really bases itself on the images over the vocal substance and i mean the fact that the movie was originally presented in a 3d format i guess is one hint that you know the visual experience is what they really wanted to sell um the amount of underwater scenes uh which are shot quite well but uh, and i should say are shot quite well by the assistant director james curtis havens um they were the shots were the underwater shots were filmed at wakula springs state park which okay so this is kind of cool the stunt doubles that did the underwater shots there was ginger stanley and then gene pool i kid you not that's his name gene pool um and then ginger also did the underwater shots for revenge of the uh, creature as well but uh yeah and revenge of the creature i should add is also the very first film ever for clint eastwood that's kind of cool but the underwater scenes were filmed in the winter um so even though like in wakula springs state park it's not overly cold there in the winter but the water itself was kind of cool so they had to heat the water with tanks and then apparently from stories that i read online there was at least one day where the crew forgot to heat the water and julie adams did say it was a very rough day for swimming scenes <laughs> as the water was rather uncomfortable uh in other words fucking cold <laughs> but um i mean so you know this film it relies a lot on the visuals obviously um the acting though still does need to be in somewhat tip-top shape i mean you do have actors you do have a lot of speaking parts and whatnot and i will say that it's more or less quite solid uh julia adams is definitely the selling point of this movie uh sometimes almost upstaging the creature itself uh in many cases a lot of people talk about her performance over the creature i mean the creature you gotta remember there's no speaking parts for him he just kind of grunts and growls and walks around right and it's not like because I recently just watching that, uh, the movies that made us uh, Halloween documentary and whatnot, you know, how Nick Castle, like everybody always says that, like how he had like a certain walk, according to Nick Castle, John Carpenter just told him walk. <laughs> he never really said that he had a specific walk or anything with this. I mean, the movements above ground just kind of moves and whatnot. It's more the movements underwater riku browning's movements underwater they have like a fluidity to them right and it's it, you can tell obviously he was uh an underwater stuntman he, he he knew how to move his body and whatnot ben chapman above ground well i mean he he moves but I, again it's probably one of those things where they never really told him how to walk they just said walk and he did but as I read from many film critics and different reviews I read up on and whatnot, I mean, it's Julia Adams that really takes a lot of the center stage. The Let's be honest, I mean, a lot of people went because, you know, they, they saw this film because why? Because she's a gorgeous woman and she's in a bathing suit for quite a few scenes in this movie. So I'm pretty sure there was that. 
Um, I also want to point out just quickly the themes of the movie, which yeah, a lot of people will say this is a simple film, which it really is. It's, you know, a creature falls in love with a woman and wants to whisk her away. We, there is that element of the film and whatnot. But there's also the themes of man versus nature. You know, you have this team of scientists and they they discover this fossilized skeletal hand bigger than a human hand and whatnot and they want to they want to discover it, find it. They want to they ha- they have to know if there's more of them on the earth and they find out that it's from this Amazon like this Amazon jungle, it, this lagoon. They go and you know, they get the boat that's named Rita. And they basically, which is kind of funny. I was thinking about that because I know it probably has no relation whatsoever, but it was something that kind of hit me funny was in the TV show, Dexter, Dexter has a boat and he has a girlfriend named Rita. And in this, the boat's name is Rita. So whether or not that is a throwback, probably not, but did find that kind of interesting. But yeah, you have the whole man versus nature theme that's going on in this, you know, these scientists... They're out to find this creature because they want to study it. They want to, uh, you know, there's the whole we must conquer, right? And then you have the attraction factor, which, uh, or what they would call the laws of attraction, whatever. But you have the creature that falls in love with Kay. You also have between the two men, Mark and David. You know, there's like this jealousy factor that, you know, because Kay is with David, but was with Mark before and Mark still obviously has feelings for Kay and whatnot. So, I mean, I know this whole review, I've called her Julia Adams. She does play the character of Kay, um, <laughs> which I might also include here, the character of Kay. This is something that I kind of enjoy with this film because while it might seem like she's another damsel in distress, she's actually quite a strong character. Um, She really does hold her own in many of the scenes, especially being surrounded by a group of men because everybody else in this film is a male except her. She's the only female and she's being pursued by a male creature. And when I say that, I could be talking about any one of three, the creature itself, the gill man or two guys. I mean, go figure it. Um, in their own way, all three are kind of like hellbent and in love with her and, you know, wanting to make her their own kind of thing. Um, but the thing is, is I would, would, with the character of Kay, this is something horror films have been doing for ages. And that is strong female roles. Yes, I get it. Okay, so the slasher genre kind of made some women come off as weak and easy to kill. They were the damsels in distress and whatnot. They also did that with men, though, I will say. I mean, but the thing is, is this isn't a slasher flick. This is Alien without the Xenomorph LV-426 and, well, Acid for Blood, kind of. This is like more of the tame version of that science fiction juggernaut, kind of. Okay, maybe not. But (laughs) it's just funny that, like, earlier when I described the movie and I was like, hmm, sounds just like Alien. But that's the thing with, with... B-movies and horror flicks and whatnot, even going as far back as 1954, you know, we did have strong female characters. I know that's something that is like this huge push in, you know, 2020 and 2021 because whatever, it sell, it markets the films better or whatever, but we've been doing this for a long time. It's not something that's 
that's kind of new. And there's another theme I'd like to point out in this film as well. It's kind of interesting and somewhat relevant into to like today's day is the idea of science versus the safety of people. Because scientists wouldn't ga- gamble with people's lives over the need to have answers and trophies for their scientific queries, would would, would they? They wouldn't do that, right? They we wouldn't we wouldn't consciously put people into harm's way with something we're experimenting with just so we can see what the results are. I mean, we wouldn't do that, right? I mean, because especially in this movie, and let's let's stay relevant with the film. But um, when David is basically suggesting that they need to leave the creature be, um, and you know, Mark is insisting, no, we need to capture this. We we need to have it. We it's and he doesn't care who's put in harm's way i mean people are dying and it's like well we're not gonna stop this until we we get our creature and whatnot um but and again even with that like so the monsters made out to be the bad guy but again as with the bulk of these monster movies the monsters really aren't the monsters, they're not that bad. I mean, especially once we start to see how they're basically a victim of their own circumstance. You know, especially in the case of Frankenstein's monster. Uh, he didn't ask to be given life. But uh, in this case, this creature was just existing in its lagoon. It was just quietly living and doing nothing. It wasn't going after anyone. It wasn't harming anyone. It's this science team that went there and said, well, we're going to find you and hunt you down. Um which isn't that what the human race is all about? We hunt things down and we kill and we destroy it. I've said it so many times on this show, like the human race brings on its own destruction. Um, and so there's that. I mean, the, the film, when I bring up these themes, obviously it makes it sound a little bit more complex than it really is. Actually, it really is one of the simpler films, but it's one that has managed to endear and charm uh, its audiences for the past, what, six, seven, eight decades. I mean, it's it's been around for so long. Uh, IMDb has the movie standing at a 7 out of 10. And Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 79% approval rating. Podcast zero rating. This is one I loved as a kid. And I could watch it as a kid because I had a rating of G. So, you know, I didn't even have to worry about like, you know, you know, my parents or like any my grandparents or anybody telling me, no, you can't watch that. It it was rated G (laughs) like um, as an adult, though, I can still appreciate it. But with age, obviously came different appreciations for other films like Bride of Frankenstein and Dracula. Um, So they always get a bit of a higher bump from me than this does. That said, this movie is no slouch in my heart. Like, I love the look of the Gill Man. Even if it is a suit, it still looks slick. Uh, Julia Adams being usually a, a major focal point. Is she attractive? Very. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But um, what I do love is that she isn't just some dame to be rescued. Yes, she does need some help in escaping the Gill Man. I mean, the men still have to come help her, but... She holds her own, um, and especially when it comes to that science, that science team or whatever the archaeolo- archaeological team, um, she holds her own, and she doesn't necessarily bow down to the man. You know what I mean? She she lets it 
be known that she has a brain and she can speak for herself and whatnot. And she's there because she deserves to be. And that's awesome. The music themes, while somewhat repetitive, uh, which was actually part of the direction from the studio, they do definitely work. The movie and the character of the creature has inspired many remake attempts and even helped in shaping the Monster Squad's Gilman. That was played by Tom Woodward Jr., who, after doing the Monster Squad, headed to LB-426 as he worked on some of the Alien films in the series. So, again, there's this correlation between the Gilman and the Xenomorph. Um, <laughs> there is very little that detracts from this movie. Um, it's definitely a beloved treasure of the universal era of monster films. I'd say I'd have to give it eight webbed claws out of ten. Yes, it's it's a solid, solid movie. Um, again, if you're looking at it through the eyes of someone in this century, okay, so you're going to sit there and nitpick on the fact that it's a rubber suit and whatnot. Rubber suit that I might add, they technically had two different kinds of suits. Um, one was darker than the other one, and I guess the darker one was for the above-ground shots, and the lighter one was for the underwater scenes and whatnot, because of the way it would film, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, it might be a rubber suit movie, but it's one of the better ones, obviously. I think of the three, I've always loved the original the best. I do like the other two, though, as well, Revenge and The Creature Walks Among Us, but uh, this one it definitely has a, a personal a spot in my heart and it, it's it'll be there till the day i die I, I really do love this movie um so yeah eight out of ten on that note not only do i have to thank you for listening i have to thank you for joining me the past four episodes obviously including this one on doing this whole universal studios monster movie event thing it's the first time that i've done a themed event that i did consistently four weeks in a row but um that like allowed me to just gush and rave and love and not have to be so critical all the time um some movies i know i've been a little bit more critical or I've, more so i've been critical of the the perception like the fan the fan reception and whatnot and then obviously the social media aspect which usually leaves a very sour taste in my mouth Th these films don't have that and I, i've noticed that like even when you do see people online commenting about them even if they do kind of poke fun at like you know a man in a rubber suit or you know uh, Frankenstein looks a little like kind of hokey compared to what he could look like today. You will notice though that people still always love these films. They might put something above it. They might take like an Evil Dead or an Exorcist or something like that and say, well, that's my ultimate favorite. I'm no different when it comes to that. Return of the Living Dead is still my all time ultimate favorite film, along with movies like The Thing. Um, pieces obviously in my 100th episode for the show and whatnot. i mean there's films that i love more than these but these are great films and for the past four weeks it's been a lot of fun to really deep dive into the history of these movies and not to mention that a lot of these movies that i've talked about well all of them you know came from decades ago i wasn't focusing on movies from 2002 or you know 2019 and stuff like that. these are like older films they there's an appreciation that has built up throughout the decades for these movies and 
it was a lot of fun to really do some research. I learned a lot myself. Like there was a lot I didn't know about these movies and going into this, watching documentaries, reading reviews, reading, you know, behind the scenes and interviews and trivia factoids and whatnot. So a lot I learned about them and it was a lot of fun to do that. So as much as I always thank you guys for listening, I also want to thank you for allowing me to do this, um, which I might add just looking at the numbers. I mean, these episodes have been well received. A lot of people are, are checking them out. So I thank you so much for that. And also if you're new to the social media pages, specifically the Facebook page has really been booming lately. Um, welcome. And I hope that I don't annoy you that you run away, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it just so much, so much has been awesome this month. It's, it's really good. Um, If you don't know, I will let you know that you can find the podcast on pretty much most major podcast streaming apps, which include Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, FM Player, Podcast Addict, Podbean, whatnot. It's it's out there. It's and I'm pretty audible has it. uh, Amazon Music has it. So it's a very easily accessible podcast. I think that's also helped bring the numbers up as well is that it's so easily accessible, uh, on social media, three formats, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I don't pretty much, I, I will never have a Snapchat or I will never have a TikTok. Um, it's just not my thing. Social media. If you're new to the show, you know, or you, you wouldn't know, but you'll find out I'm not a real big fan of it. Uh, if you've been around a while, you obviously know that, but I try, I still try to go out and do, do the social media thing. Like I said, uh, just posted tonight, the black Friday trailer for uh, the, the trailer for that new movie, black Friday with Bruce Campbell, Devin Sawa and. It looks like it's going to be an absolute riot. Uh, check it out for sure if you haven't already. I'm also going to announce next episode. Next episode is going to be different. It's a Halloween special. Um, tentatively, I'm aiming for a Sunday release for this next episode. Uh, I'm really hoping I can have it ready and set to go for the Sunday. Being Sunday is actually Halloween. Um but I'm doing something, I got inspired by watching a lot of different YouTube videos and whatnot, so I'm doing something a little bit differently, in which this next episode that I'll be doing is a ranking episode, a countdown ranking from best, or sorry, from worst to best. And what better franchise to do it with than Halloween? So, the next episode, episode 109 will be a Halloween special where and it's going to be a shorter episode because I'm not reviewing the movies. I'm just basically going to tell you why, you know, I'm going to tell you my, my, what is it? We're at 12 movies. I think it'll be basically my top 12 and why, (laughs) um, and that will be the special for episode 109. Like I said, aiming for Sunday. Um, so that's that pretty much done talking. And you're probably done listening to me talk anyways. So actually closing out with a track today, uh, a Louis Armstrong track. And you're like, wait, what? He's not going to play Ice Nine Kills? Nope. We're going to close out with some Louis Armstrong, a song called Spooks. But before I do that, I got to let Al take it away. You need to shut 
the fuck up. Hey, lick my plate, you dog dick. See, you guys, you never listen to me. I said that there was going to be trouble, but you didn't listen to me. You guys are crazy. You know, you guys are self-destructive. There's a funny farm and it has your name written all over it. About 12 o'clock, I thought I'd go downstairs just to check the lock. When I heard something in the house, I don't mean a mouse. I swear they were spooks, spooks, spooks. I know they were spooks, 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 spooks. I couldn't move, just stood and stare. I never was so scared. The first spook spoke and I heard him speak. He said, what say? Go make the back door squeak. We'll tease the cat and hound the pup and raise our spirits up. Oh, Lord of them spooks, spooks, spooks. Those scary old spooks, 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 spooks. You don't have to take my word, but I heard what I heard. Next spook spoke, he said, suppose we make the fossil start to drip and make the shutter shake. You let me know just what you want. This is my favorite haunt. Beware of them spooks, 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 them mischievous spooks, 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 spooks. I hate spoofing, man, I mean that I've seen what I see. A big spook spoke, he said, Spike, my son. He said, I'll show you how to scare up some fun. But next time when you wail, see here, you make it loud and clear. Watch out for them spooks, spooks, spooks. Oh, those nasty old spooks, 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 spooks. Maybe you don't think it's so, but I know what I know. The last spook turned to his spouse and frowned. Said, I thought I told you to wait in the ground. But you look awful cute tonight. In fact, you look a fright. <laughs> He's talking about spooks, spooks, spooks. Real genuine spooks, 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 spooks. No, you stop putting up your dukes. You just can't fight to them spooks. Cutting out of here, man. I don't dig this job. No. Wait for us, wait for us, wait for us, wait for us. 